listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined, as always, by Ryan Shutt and Philip Russell. We are coming at you Monday morning. So if you are hoping to listen to an angst filled episode following straight after the game four loss, uh, that ain't that ain't it. Uh, today we have taken a little bit of uh, time last night to get a rewatch under our belt and also celebrate our mothers. Yesterday was a very Mother's Day filled uh, into the valley. We had Philip, who is officially on his almost first Father's Day. We got to hang out with his lovely wife, celebrate the baby, which that's going to happen forever, and have a wonderful first Mother's Day there. Uh, Ryan and I got to hang out with our mom, who I will not say how many Mother's Days she's had. I don't want to dox Ryan and give him out how old Ryan is. Uh, we had a good Mother's Day. I got to hang out with my wife, not a mother, but might be one day, fingers crossed. So it was a good day. So we're going to, we aren't going to let the sons ruin that. And with that in mind, we took a little bit of extra time to decompress, rewatch if we wanted to rewatch, and Come at you with some Game 4 takeaways that are hopefully level-headed, not too reactionary, and hopefully continue to celebrate our mothers through a Mother's Day-themed episode here at Into the Valley. And that is including horrible puns, so get ready for that. Philip, coming off of getting to hang out with your wife on her first Mother's Day, uh, I know it was a good day in that side of things. How are you feeling about the Suns following Game 4? I felt really bad right after the game, which after rewatching the first half again, I'm a little disappointed in myself because I feel okay. I feel okay about the Suns going into game five. But again, that's after a rewatch. In the heat of the moment, it felt like there were very few things the Suns were doing right. But as we'll get into a little bit later, the Suns played better, especially defensively, than I realized they did. Ryan, I know we talked a little bit before, but but looking at game four, the series is tied two to two now. Suns dropped at 111, 101. And uh I don't know if this makes sense. It's a tale of two halves, but if we're being real, it's like a tale of one quarter and three quarters. Um when you look at kind of the hole the Suns dug themselves in and then all the effort they went into to try to get out of it, where are you at in terms of whether that's panic meter, whether that's just looking ahead to the three game series that we have left now? Like, how are you feeling after game four? Uh, Disappointed, obviously, because I thought through the first two games that we were clearly the better team. Um, I I think we have taken kind of a step back. just from a, uh, I would say from like a morale perspective, I don't think necessarily gameplay has taken a huge step back, but definitely dropping two games on the road after being up two games is definitely a shot to the morale. I don't feel awful. And I definitely think comparing this series to last series after it going to two, I feel better still about this series than I did last series at two, two. Uh, I had more question marks last series at 2-2. I thought the the Pelicans were doing um, a little bit more that had me worried that I wasn't sure we would find answers for as frequently. 
Um, I, I still hate that this is the situation we're in and that we've got two Chris Paul ghost games in a row, basically. Uh, that isn't a great feeling to have. But if we're looking big picture at like that bird's eye view of the series, I'm still not too worried. Going back to our last episode with our panic meter, I, I don't know if we're going to get there and, and give our, our numbers again later uh, in this or not. Um, I would say it's definitely higher than, than my three was last time, uh, but it won't be significantly higher. I still feel good about what the outcome will be of the series. I feel good uh, about hopefully a big Devin Booker game next week. He has done historically well in game fives. Um, but I, I, I'm disappointed, but, but by no means do I feel like the Suns are counted out at this point. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Let's do panic meter. And then the rest of the episode is our, like arguing, arguing our thesis for that. So, uh, Ryan, you said it's a little bit higher. You were a three last time. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm probably at like a four and a half. Okay. Uh, I definitely, uh, uh, an increase, but not too sizable. I don't feel comfortable with a five yet. To me, that's when when the alarm, maybe like one alarm in a back room starts going off a little bit. Uh, that annoying fire alarm that the batteries have gone dead, you know, that kind of just chirps. I would say I'm at like a four and a half out of 10 on the panic scale right now. Okay. Ethan, where are you at? I feel like saying this is going to shoot me in the foot. After, after immediate watch yesterday, I was probably feeling a five after a rewatch. I'm sitting at a three still. And, and that is, again, that came with a slow rewatch. And when I mean slow, I mean, when I watched a play that ended with a Dorian Finney Smith open three in the corner with DA closing, I paused, I rewound to the beginning of the play and I rewatched. And I said, is this, is this something I should be concerned about? Or is this a simple fix? Or something that's out of our control. I did that a lot. Uh, it was a it was a late night, and I'm with you, Philip. Like I rewatched, and I'm like, this this still doesn't concern me. And I agree to Ryan. Like the Pelicans, it was a mix of Willie Green knowing everything about the Suns. It was a mix of the unknowns of so many of their players, and the the level of physicality to where some matchups were just weird. The matchups that are presented still don't have me worried. If we're taking the sun sample size of the entire regular season, still letting that hold weight, I am not concerned about a three-game series where we've got home court advantage. So where are you sitting? I think I'm at a five just because of Luca's brilliance. He's played very well. He played especially well, I thought, offensively in the games that the Suns won. But you you would still have a little bit of angst of like, is he going to go scorched earth, not for a half, but for an entire game in one of these upcoming games? But when it comes to when it comes to the Mavericks supporting cast, I feel like we might have seen the peak Mavericks performance that was accompanied by some very poor performances from the Sun's central figures, namely Chris Paul. So you got a Chris Paul stinker of a game with the best performance you might possibly see from the entire Mavericks team. And for the majority of the second half, the Suns were within striking distance and really knocking on the door a couple times. Well, let's go ahead and talk about kind of our, our takeaways of game four, why the result was the result. Um, 
And sticking with our, our Mother's Day theme here, we asked the question, why did the Suns get sunned? Sorry in advance to the people that hate every bit of what's about to happen this episode. We're not sorry. <laughs> no, I'm pretty. I'm actually pretty excited about it. Uh, so why did the Suns get sunned? We have we already discussed this ahead of time, uh, just in our instant reaction kind of discussions and feedback, figuring out what on earth happened. And I think, at least between the three of us, there's a there's a pretty obvious singular answer outside of the Chris Paul played bad foul trouble, whatever. Like I think there is a statistical measurement that explains why this game went the way that it did. And Philip, what was that? The Mavericks shot so well from three. It was unbelievable. It's the three-point discrepancy. If you're looking for a singular, again, a singular reason outside of Chris Paul's foul trouble, it it has to be the three-point discrepancy. According to my math, which could be off, I believe the Mavericks were a spicy plus 33 from behind the three-point arc, which is to say they made 11 more threes than the Suns. And they shot 45.5% from three on a high volume. They put up 44 three-pointers and made 20 of them. It is almost, almost impossible to beat a team who's shooting that well from three. A lot of people will talk about 20 made three-pointers. 20 made threes in a game is almost like this magic number where if a team's going to do that, you're going to have to play an unbelievable game in order to beat them. And obviously, as we've already been alluding to, the Suns didn't do that. But I think it brings up the question, are there reasons that are within the Suns' control for the Mavericks' incredible shooting performance? And I want to make one mention, too, before we kind of talk into the amazing nature of their three-point shooting number and just give a little bit more context in terms of the game flow. Uh, So Philip mentioned the Mavs finished 20 of 44 from three. That is a 45.5%. And if you want to look even a little deeper, and and I'm pulling up the shot chart, sorry for the uh, quick delays between the numbers here. But in the first quarter, the entire Maverick shot chart is green. That means Everywhere on the court, they were at or above league average, but that included going eight of 13 from three between the corners. They never missed. They were three of three from the corners, five of 10 from the straightaways, the diagonals, that, that side. So absurd starts to the three point shooting in the first quarter. And you think law of averages that that's going to cool off a bit in the second quarter, ensure the numbers didn't exactly stay that way but they from the corners went on to shoot six of seven for the entire first half so in total they were 14 of 24 so they were 14 of 24 so when Phillips says if you hit 23s in a game that's a substantial number that is a impressive feat they had 14 at halftime on an incredibly efficient clip So it wasn't just that they threw up a bunch and hit. They were hot out of the gates. And I still think you look back, that first quarter is is kind of what did the Suns in. Philip, were you going to add something there? Yeah, and percentage-wise, the Suns matched, but the Suns just didn't match with volume. So the Mavericks go 8 of 13 in the first quarter. The Suns hit 2 of 4. 
the Mavericks go six for 11 in the second quarter, the Suns hit three of six. So this is where you talk analytics. If the Mavericks are putting up three pointers and hitting in at an incredible rate, it doesn't matter how efficient the Suns are going to be. That three point efficiency is going to win out every time. And that lead's just going to keep growing. Or as the second quarter progressed, third quarter and fourth quarter, even if the Suns are a tick more efficient offensively, but the Mavericks are shooting three pointers and hitting at an okay clip, it's difficult to close that gap significantly. And it was everybody. I think that's the other thing that's just so impressive to me. It was everybody. I mean, Bertans came in and had 12 points in five minutes. You know, like he, I, I was halfway expecting a 50 point game from Bertans when he came out and started doing that. You know, like it was, it was, it was everybody. We'll talk about it later. Dorian Finney Smith murdered us. You know, it, it was just well, just a well rounded performance where you can't really point to one singular person and say, hey, this dude killed us. DFS aside, maybe. But it, it, credit to the Mavericks. It was taking a step back. It's kind of really fun to watch what they did shooting-wise if you enjoy just basketball in general. You hate to be on the receiving end of that because uh, it kind of felt like some of the, the James Harden rocket games where they just launch threes and everything seems to be going in. Um, but again, to your point, is that something that's fixable? I, I mean, it looks to be that it would be because there's no way they're able to maintain that from that universal of a, of a clip. And Philip, I know you had something to say. I, I, I always like looking at team numbers and then removing the outlier. And sometimes that is the outlier that shoots so well that it can skew what's, what's nuts. And it, it goes, I think, to what Ryan just said. The outlier for the Mavs tonight shooting was Luka. Luka was one of 10 from three. Ryan just made this point. Everyone was getting involved. Every one of their guys that you hope has one game of the series managed to do their job. If you take Luca's one of 10 from three out, they're shooting 56% from three. Like they were hitting. And Philip, I'll let you make your comment if you want to before I kind of pivot us into do we think that is something that the Suns were were playing into, or do you think that was just the Mavs having the night of their life? Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm going. I went back and I really focused in on the first quarter where they went 8 of 13. And on the rewatch, by and large, with a couple exceptions, you're going to give up some open threes over the course of the game. Every, every team does, great defensive teams do. I thought the Suns played okay, if not pretty good, defensively, again, in the first quarter. I think the second half, it's a little different. But in the first quarter, the Mavericks made a lot of those three-pointers when the Suns were contesting pretty well. Like, they weren't, they weren't wide open. There were guys who were closing the gap on most of those three-pointers, and the Mavericks were just on fire that first quarter. So again, in, in my mind on the rewatch, I was expecting to be really disheartened by the Suns' effort defensively and... There are a couple guys who I have some questions about their defensive performance on closeouts, but overall I thought it was fine. And the Mavericks were just on fire. And as Ryan alluded to their games or their quarters or their halves, where if a team is that hot from three, tip your hat, tip your hat and say, GG. Yeah. I, I think they did have an exceptional shooting night and even 
even if some of the shots are more open than you'd like them to be, when a dude that's a 30-something percent three-point shooter goes off for 75% or even a 40 goes for 60, like, that's just something that happens. Even within the flow of a game, if they're more open than you'd like, that's still impressive. You can't look at people's three-point shooting numbers and be like, well, every one of them is contested. If you give them open shots that are 100%, no, they're it's still within the flow of the game. It's still absurd to shoot the way that DFS did or, I mean, legitimately every tall European dude on the bench whose job is, I'm going to give you a minute, you need to hit three threes or you come out back to the bench. And all of them were just like, you got it, sir. Like, we can take care of it. And Luca really let him down. That was the only one within the Mark Cuban, large white European shooting ensemble that, that wasn't caring. But it it was frustrating for me just to see that happen. Um, but I do agree with you, Philip. First watch, what on earth are the Suns doing wrong? Second watch, man, the Suns are just getting really unlucky because the Mavs are just on fire. And and that happens. And we talked about this. I know we talked about it with our mailbag, and I think the game we were referring to was the heat loss maybe in January where the heat just went scorched earth and Twitter was going nuts of like, what groundbreaking changes to our fundamental defense can we make to prevent this from happening? And I think all of us were just like, hope the team doesn't hit every shot. Like, what do you want us to do? Right? Like we're not, we're not adjusting our game plan because of an outlier. And I, that's how I'm viewing yesterday in the heat of the moment. I think it's hard to look at it and be like, this is what's different from the rest it because it's current. But take a step back, that that wasn't normal. And I do think there are some things that they can look at and and maybe try to plan for. I at first I thought it was more on the defensive end of just what to switch, what not to switch. Do you blitz a little bit more? Do you try to force the ball out of people's hands do you want to speed it up part of me was like man I'm seeing possessions that felt like the Mavs Jazz series where poor Rudy Gobert is sprinting to the corner to contest a three over and over and over and, and Aiton caught himself in that position a couple times but I'm, I'm starting to lean it's more personnel than it is how we're using the people uh, and that's kind of where I want to move to our next section which Mother's Day theme's not going anywhere. The problem, children. Which sons of ours, I did it again, uh, were the problem if we're looking just game four or have been a problem throughout the series or for one particular player who we all love very much, potentially the playoffs. I want to go ahead and start with the guy that I think could potentially play into the three-point problem a bit more, and that's JaVale McGee and what he can or can't do. So, Philip, after after the rewatch, JaVale in general, if I'm taking, like, the simplest basketball notes possible, if I am looking at JaVale, I say he stays on the court if he is producing offensive rebounds and defensively is not allowing three-point shooters to get wide open, whether that's proper switching, whether that's knowing when to move, I don't know. 
But if I'm just a coach and I'm like, JaVale's out there, we're giving up a lot of open threes. Most of those replays I watched, it was because he's unable to close out. He's not quick enough laterally that we've talked about to stay with his player. I don't know. So again, my very dumb version is it's a plus for him if he's getting the offensive rebounds that make him valuable. Defensively, I'm unsure what what he would have to do for me to magically be like, oh no, keep him out there, please. Because the Mavs aren't killing you around the rim and the way that they are doing it is with a Luka or a Jalen Brunson who JaVale's not going to be there for because of the way they're flaring out their bigs. JaVale gets pulled out of the paint. It's not like you're like, well, we need rim protection from Jalen Brunson. So let's make sure JaVale's sitting there waiting for him, right? So JaVale in a nutshell, this series, what do you think he can do to make himself valuable? Or what, what are we looking at in terms of is JaVale getting played off the court? Because I he, think that's a good starting point, I think. He has been better than I expected closing out on three-point shooters. I There are times during the season where he wasn't closing at all, and he was just in drop coverage. So I think there is pretty noticeable improvement on the defensive end, him getting out and contesting. Now, the problem and the counter that we've seen a couple times this series is when he's closing out on a guy like Kleba, Kleba is offensively competent enough that if JaVale McGee is flying at him, simple up fake and he's driving. Now, I don't think we've seen that from Davis Bertans. Mm-mm. So Kleba's, now we Kleba's might have done it a few times, but that's about it. Now we might come into a situation where if Bertans is on the floor, maybe JaVale can be on the court because he's more comfortable closing out towards him, but they're going to run Bertans around a bunch of picks. So that's a question. Uh, I didn't think JaVale was necessarily an obvious weak link on the defensive end, especially because he didn't play that much. He didn't even get to. 10 minutes. So I think JaVale yesterday did about as expected. And as long as he's going to be in a very limited role where in less than 10 minutes, he got up five shots, scored seven points, six rebounds. He's probably doing what you would expect him to do. Is he going to give up a more open three than you would like? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. But I didn't think his closeouts were obscenely bad. So, do you think it's just simply because I, I, I 10 minutes, it's not a lot mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what the Suns can do with the backup big spot. Do you think there is a conversation to be had of playing an ish Wainwright at the five or going real small with a J at the five? Tory has made himself unplayable in my opinion at this point, given what he's shown. Do you think that is something in the bag of tricks that Monty pulls out to say, hey, the way you're playing us, the slow, unathletic dudes that you're throwing out there? Because again, and I feel like everyone has said this, when when the Mavs are putting out their, quote, shooters, they are having a very immediate hit on their defensive ability. Dorian Finney-Smith last yesterday was... Again, an outlier. That's not normal. So when I'm saying they're three-point shooters, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Kleba, Bertans, whoever. When those dudes get on the court, their defensive rating 
through all of the minutes this season have gone down. That's been a pretty clear correlation here. Do you think if those guys come out, the Suns can attack with a five-out look that still has some some heft that allows them to switch more? Because I think I wouldn't be scared, and maybe I'm stupid. I think Ish's physicality is is similar to like if you're throwing a J on Luca, like if you're throwing an Ish on Luca, like it's going to be hard to move him. And I think he's got quick enough feet. And three months ago, I never would think like Ish Wainwright hitting threes in the corner. Yes. But I feel like he's had, even in a small sample size, enough to show that that is a skill set that he has absolutely worked on. Do you think that could be something new that we see in game five? No, I don't think Monty's going to go there because it changes the offense significantly. The Suns work around that middle of the court pick and roll so often in so many of their sets that I don't know if Monty wants to take all three bigs out of the lineup because once you do that, who else on the Suns is a genuine threat rim running? Then if you don't have a genuine threat rim running, all of a sudden the kickouts to Mikhail and his secondary drives, it's more clogged because his his defender doesn't have to help on DA or JaVale or Busy or whoever's cutting in. Cam Johnson might not be able to lift from the corner when someone's coming down to tag the big as they're rolling. So I think there are ripple effects offensively that might make Monty hesitant to go to a smaller smaller lineup because when that happens what you likely end up seeing is you're going to start hunting guys individually but you're going to be hunting wings with wings guards with guards and it's just not it's not as easy of a matchup as if you can hunt a big when you have a wing or a guard with the ball ryan would it see it would it frustrate you if you see more bismack minutes less javel minutes it wouldn't frustrate me. I, I kind of am, am with Philip on this, where I think JaVale, what JaVale brings in the rim running <clears throat> for our shooting and for 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 just kind of keeping everybody where they need to be, I, I don't think Bismack offers that the same way JaVale does. I love Bismack, and I like the few minutes he's had in the, the playoffs so far, but I also think of the experience JaVale brings in these scenarios and he's far more experienced in these kinds of games and in these situations than Bismack has been. And that's just to credit JaVale's success with other teams and and having been there. Um, so I wouldn't be frustrated because I do like Bismack, and I think he brings different things that JaVale doesn't. I, I would prefer JaVale minutes, and I'm cool cool riding with those, even if he's not closing out on those threes as quick or, or what have you. JaVale brings significantly more offensively than yeah. Busy does. And yesterday, there was a great stretch where uh, Brunson maybe drew the charge against JaVale. And then I think JaVale's next two buckets were him jump-stopping and hitting a floater. Like That's a great adjustment, and that shows like he's not a meme anymore. Like His career has yeah. been resurrected. He's playing, a good, he's playing a good role. And then JaVale and Busy splitting about 10 to 15 minutes per game. Yeah. If they're splitting that where JaVale's getting two-thirds of those minutes, I think that's fine because then you get a different look. That second unit, it can play a little bit more hectically. It's more athletic and it's, it's at least quicker when guys like campaign Booker 
Shamit, when they're in there, there's a quickness that's there. Busy can play like that, and he is quick, right. and he does well, okay. I, I, he does okay out on the perimeter. So when you're just going to throw him in for a couple minutes, try to muck it up, try to switch everything, get get really athletic, that's good, but it's not going to be sustainable for the whole game. Because Luca right. Luke is going to cook him if he's out there on the court for too long. Yeah, I do think uh, one thing that Busy has done a better job on is closing out without overcommitting. And I think you talked about that with Jabail. He just doesn't have the ability to stop and turn and I think Bismack does a better job staying low on those contests where he can open his hips. I don't know why I'm physically doing that as I talk it through here. Uh, I appreciate the visual. Thank I'm you. imagining it. I mean, it's like a cornerback in football. Like you're opening your hips, you're turning <laughs> with it, and you're moving. Thank you for the shimmy, Philip. Before we hop to problem child number two that I think might induce a couple tears from Ryan, we do have a question uh, from our YouTube comments here that I want to throw up there. Uh, football fan 28 says, if we somehow lose – the Suns, I do appreciate the clarification there. Game five is the series over. We're going to lose three in a row. I feel like tomorrow is our last chance. Ryan, I'm going to go to you first because I feel like this is a comment I could see you texting out of angst the moment yesterday's game ends. No, I was going to bring this up later because I have a very specific reason why that's not the case. We play game five on Tuesday. Let's just let's just say on Tuesday we lose and we're down three games to two. Do you fellas difficult. happen to know it's Thursday, baby? Don't even don't even tease. Takes don't place. even tease. Yes, Cam Johnson's gonna drop. We 30 have and we're Cam Johnson Thursday this week. So if even if we lose, I don't think we will, but even if we lose at home game five, we have a Cam Johnson Thursday this Thursday. And so I'm confident that that would get us even at 3-3 heading home to Phoenix. uh, And we would be able to take game seven at home if it came down to that. So Cam Johnson Thursday all the way. I will say we do basically have three home games left. We have a home game, a Cam Johnson Thursday on the road, and another home (laughs) game. So I'm I'm feeling good. Uh, Football Fan 28 went on to say, he said, what worries him is the Mavs role players have been doing what they did yesterday all year since January. Since January, the Mavs have been the best three-point shooting team if you remove Lucas threes, which is a very funny caveat here. Uh, and I'm not the stat index. I can't fact check, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I think ever since that trade, they had just really kind of stepped it up in, in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see them doing what they did yesterday again. Like I still look at the, the averages from game one, two, and three. And I think Philip Rondo, I think, I, expect. I think volume is the key. It was the percent that they were hitting last night at the volume they were hitting at. I don't see them doing that again. They might shoot at that percent again, and that's fine as long as we don't allow them to do it at the volume with which they were doing it yesterday. They, they also have so many attempts because of the stupid turnover numbers. Like they're not they, getting roasted on the rebounds. It's just. The Mavs football fan, they hit 17 threes in game two and got gobsmacked. So it's not, it's not as simple to say what, what did the Mavericks shoot from three? Because even let's do this yesterday, there were, there were moments in the game where the Suns could have closed the gap completely. So the Mavericks, the Mavericks might shoot really well from three that, that doesn't safeguard them in games against the Suns because the Suns just by the style in which they play, 
they are most likely going to get beaten from the three-point line. We just don't often see it being 33 points like we did yesterday. So I have two examples from yesterday's game of where the Suns, they were doing a nice job hanging around, and they had opportunities to completely close the gap, but they missed out on those opportunities. So the big one, with nine minutes to go, Booker hit a three. It was like nine and a half minutes ago. Booker hits a three, and the Suns pulled to within eight. The Mavs and Suns, for over two minutes of game time, for over two minutes of game time, go empty. So they're going back and forth, back and forth, empty possession after empty possession. Part of this is Chris Paul picking up his his fifth foul and maybe even a sixth foul during that time. But then with seven minutes and change left, Mikhail hits a floater to pull within seven or to pull within six. And then here's what happened. Luca hits a floater, Mavs up eight. Booker missed a shot. DFS hits a three. Booker missed again. And DFS hit another three. So snap of a finger, you go from down six to down 14. But you were right there, especially during those empty possessions going back and forth. And then even in the third quarter, towards the end of the third quarter, the Suns had pulled to within four. So with about a minute left, Brunson makes a floater to go up six. Campaign, which we can get back to our problem children here in just a second. Campaign missed a three. Two empty possessions in a row. And then Frank Nidalekina, of all people, career 33% three-point shooter on two attempts per game. So a bad three-point shooter. Nails a three with about 15 seconds left. Booker misses a three at the end of the quarter. So you go down four to down nine. And there were a bunch of instances like that throughout the game. So the Mavs, the Mavs are going to shoot more threes. They're probably going to win that three-point battle. But again, that doesn't mean the Suns don't have any counters to that. So the Suns roles or the Mavericks role players can play well. But I think even yesterday, if you don't get an absolute stinker from Chris Paul, I think the Suns are right there, if not probably winning the game. Can we talk about campaign? Let's go ahead and move to our other problem child. Uh, And I'm going to, I'm, Sorry, Ryan. I have to let you go first. It's just too on brand not to. Uh, I don't want you to go into the weeds of the analytics here. I want you to talk about your feelings. How are you feeling watching campaign so far through these two series? Um, I haven't publicly talked about this yet. I've been waiting for somebody to notice, and nobody has but one person. And that is friend of the pod, friend of the pod, Sean McConaughey. He noticed. Since the bubble, my Twitter bio has been a campaign stan account. I love campaign. I love his hustle. I love the comeback. I love what he brought to the team. Uh, game five of the Pelican series, I removed campaign stan account from the Twitter bio and it has not returned. And let me tell you why. Here are the point totals. For his playoffs so far, two, zero, four, nine, three, 12, eight, three, six, two on 31% field goal percent and 15% from three. <laughs> Football fans says it may sadly be a time that you put campaign up for adoption. It is time. I'm afraid we might be at that point where I just don't think 
he is the answer for that backup guard. Unfortunately, I don't really think we have anything better waiting behind him. And I think there are a lot of Suns fans on Twitter who would be calling for Holiday or maybe even Alfred Payton as nope. that plan. Nope. And I don't nope. think nope. that is correct hey, at well, all. People might that be was calling a, for Holiday. Mm. I guarantee you no one. Yeah, that was a called. that that last one, Ryan, that was a straw man. I have not seen a single person. No one saying, has said oh, Alfred, Alfred Payton. Payton could be I'm no exaggerating would, out of I've my I've seen sadness. more people say that's put, not put ish at point guard. Our brand. Ethan asked me how I felt about the player that I have been ride or die for. All and I'm, I'm saying is, let's well, not campaign, put Alfred Payton in there. That's not fair. Campaign yeah. has been awful. And I'm to the point where I would prefer, I think, to see Champagne, uh, Champagne <laughs> Landry Shamit. Thank you. Run, run that, run that position and see where it takes us because Cam is giving us nothing. And I think to me, one of the biggest marks on yesterday's game where I was frustrated, and Philip and I talked about this a little bit in the group chat, and I understand the logic behind it. But when Chris had three fouls and Monty brought him in under two minutes and Chris picked up that fourth foul, I can't help but to think that if campaign was giving us anything, Chris doesn't get subbed in there. We rock with campaign till the end of the quarter. Chris doesn't pick up foul number four and put us in the position in the second half that we get in. It was a bad call, I think, to bring Chris in, but that call doesn't have to be made if we get anything from Cam. Cam has just been a disappointment, and it makes me sad uh, because I, I really thought that, you know, he uh, he would bring at least something into these playoffs, and it has been nothing. Put Shamit in a pick and roll with the ball, Romeo says. Let's go for it. At this point, no. I'm down for anything. <laughs> No. Okay, couple things. Let me let's let's take let's take the mic away from Ryan real quick, Philip. Before yeah. I before I let you get into into this a little, I do want to say I think Ryan said the percentages for Cam shooting uh, for the playoffs thirty one and fifteen. Right. In terms of the actual numbers, I think that I think those sound bad. I think the volume makes it sound worse. Sorry to just pile on here. Uh, from the field, he's twenty of sixty three. From three, he's four of twenty six. Four of 26 from three. That alone for me gets you off the court. I'll hold off for a second. Philip, go ahead, my man. So many things to say. Number one, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about last playoffs. Cam was cooking people last playoffs. Campaign was. Including, including LeBron James. Ever heard of him? Like made him look slow on the way to the basket and was scoring routinely and talking his noise. And it was working so well. He's not beating anybody this series. Yep. Nobody. He, they're not even comfortable picking on Davis Bertans when campaign is in the game. Like this is a different player than the guy we saw last year. Now he had a limited skill set. Last year, and after he got hurt, he wasn't the same in the last playoffs. But people started sitting on his left hand because he's limited defensively, and his shots whack, like, mechanically. Goes in sometimes, not in the playoffs, but it's not a great-looking shot. So what's the switch? I I don't know how long we've been beating this drum, Ethan. It's Landry Shamit. It's Landry. Because, for a very clear reason, Campaign is not playing by himself at the guard. It's not Cam and a bunch of wings. It has been for like the entire playoffs. It has been Campaign flanked either by Devin Booker 
or Chris Paul. We had Point Booker this year, so I am confounded by why we're not at least getting Landry more minutes because Booker can run the point or CP3 can run the point, and you can have Landry playing the two during that time. And Landry has showed up defensively, and then offensively, he is better slashing, and I think all of us would feel comfortable if the ball gets reversed and you have either Landry Shamit or Campaign in the corner or on the wing taking an open three with the defender collapsing. All of us are picking Landry Shamit to take that shot, right? Yep, 100%. I think all the Suns fans are. So he's better defensively. He fits better offensively when you have Booker and CP3 on the court at the same time. Like, play Landry. You extended him. You gave him significantly more money than you gave campaign. Like, this is the time to cash in on this dude because overall, he's clearly, clearly better than campaign right now. I, yeah, I'm not going to just reiterate everything you, you said. I think the Landry Shamit answer is one that is overdue. Uh, I've listened to some other podcasts. I've read some other articles. It seems like we as a collective are higher on Landry than others. I think some of it is just folks wanting to ride with the sons of last year. I don't know. But Landry has played in all four games of this series. He's a positive plus minus in every one. He has zero turnovers in every game. Defensively, there has not been a point where he has done anything on the defensive end to take him out. So if you're looking for a, an easy little like point of, no, this doesn't make sense, you're not going to find one. And then the thing that kills me the most is, and I guess this is more me screaming at the, the empty arena of people that aren't here, like if you want to bash him on not doing what he was paid for, don't bash him, bash Monty. Like you can't expect him to do what he's good at in nine minutes of game time. Like look at his look at his numbers for this series. Nine minutes, 14 minutes, 10 minutes, nine minutes. And if you're wondering, he's shooting 50% from three, 50 from the field. He's just not getting a lot of shots up because he's not out there. And it's not a a 10 minute stretch all at once. It's these chunked up little twos, threes, fives. Like go back to the JJ Reddick podcasts. Um, when he was talking about Landry, I can't remember if it was with the timeline guys are separate. I think it was talking about Landry. Landry needs to have the time to get some shots up and get a rhythm. He is a fantastic shooter. The last month and a half proved that when he is in rhythm, he is great. He's great off, off a quick screen. He's great off the dribble. He's great, great moving right or left. He can hit a stand-up shot in the corner. Like, utilize this offensive weapon. And again, I think, and Philip already nailed it, and I think we talked about it at length last episode, Landry for Cam is not replacing a point guard with a shooting guard and saying, this doesn't make sense, guys. Because campaign is never playing a true point guard role as long as Chris Paul or Devin Booker are out there with him. And he's not, I, I need to take the time to go look at the splits and look at the minutes by rotation. There are not a lot of pure second unit rotations in the playoffs where it is Cam, four other dudes, and Book and Paul aren't out there. One of them is out there holding his hand and running the point. 
And, and so if that's what he's being asked to do, let it be Landry. Let him play the two. He can handle the ball in a pick and roll if he has to. I don't think he should, but he is he is made to be that second screen on a snap, potentially flaring out, getting that shot at the top on a quick catch and shoot. He's great at being either one of the dudes in the corner on almost any of our sets. And defensively, he's just not getting credit. And I think that's what really ticks me off is people are like, oh, Landry's getting bullied. Watch the game. Stop talking and watch the game. That's just stupid. Like people saying Landry's a defensive liability are not watching him play defense. And it's frustrating because I just, I hate, I hate when the fandom's like, let's pick this guy and talk crap about him, but then let's not actually watch anything that he's doing. So I'm Ryan's face alone is making it very clear that I'm on a rant level that I need to stop. So Philip, I'm going to let you get going and finish my coffee. He's no less of a defensive liability than Cam Johnson has been, than Chris Paul has been, than any of our other guards would be if he's getting Luka on him in a one-on-one situation where the Suns are just going to let Luka back down. Like Landry and, and in that instance, he is less of a liability than campaign would be in that instance, because he's, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty safe in saying Landry's bigger than campaign. He seems stronger than campaign. He seems like he can stand Luka up noticeably better. Like, I am ready for Monty to just sit campaign and say, kid, it's just not your series. Now, we've been talking about problem children for a while, and we have we have one more question, one more Mother's Day pun that we've been talking about significantly, which is, let Ethan click it, how will the prodigal sons return? There have been there have been moments in this in this playoff run where I think collectively as a group of fans, we've kind of pointed and we went that that's the Phoenix suns right there. I think game two was a big one like that where the Mavericks were shooting while the Mavericks were just playing pretty well in game two. And again, like we mentioned earlier, the suns smacked them around in game two outside of playing Landry Shamit more, which is to say play campaign less. Yep. What are other things that you guys are wanting to see the Suns switch out? This is going to sound silly and really basic, but the last two games have kind of, I think, shown this. I think we need to really lessen the double-digit leads that we give up early. Both both Game 3 and Game 4, the leads have extended to 14, 16, 18, and we clawed back, but it never really seemed like we were there or we were going to get out of that hole. Those kind of leads happen, but the frequency with which they've happened in games three and four has been a little concerning. I think if we can just limit some of those leads or some of those runs that the Mavericks go on to keep it within striking distance at all time, even if we are playing from behind, I think that's going to put us in a better position for those fourth quarter magic suns that we've seen over and over again this season. The problem is we can't afford to be digging our way out of a 12, 14, 16 point lead in the fourth quarter if we're trying to come back for a win. So that's one for me. And and another one is I, I need Chris Paul to show up, as silly as that sounds. Two games without Chris Paul is killer, uh, and it's been two games not due to injury. It's been because he's just been lacking on the court, uh, and that I think that's going to be an easy fix. I think you mentioned it a couple times already, Philip, in some of your scheming, but Chris Paul on the court 
makes this a different story by the time, especially we're talking second half, second half ball. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I feel like it'd be a bad time to continue with the Landry Shamit uh, propaganda. So I will hit the pause button a bit there. Uh, I don't hate Ryan's comment in the sense of maybe use a timeout a little quicker than you might think is necessary. Um, I was looking through the first quarter's uh, game chart. And in in my mind, thinking back, it should have been like Mavs hit, Suns miss, Mavs hit. It was a lot of just, they were hitting threes and we were hitting twos. Like it wasn't a 15-0 run. It was a, you know, you stretch it out a 14 plus, but with a lot of twos for the Suns. And so, again, even when I'm looking for things that I think should give me an answer, uh, I'm I'm kind of just going back to the, I think this is an outlier. And for that reason, I don't want to see any seismic shifts outside of the campaign minutes. And I don't think that is a series strategy change. I think that's a know your personnel change of if you've got a guy that's just not it, you don't want to sink the ship over allegiance to some guy's minutes. And that's kind of where I'm feeling right now. So I hate that forum. And I agree. I think campaign at his best changes a series. I think campaign playing the way he did last playoffs changed the series, elevated the team. And I think if I'm looking long-term, I think you need him for other series down the road. Um, Memphis series, maybe not so much if that's who comes out of that. But if we manage to play the Warriors... I think you're going to have to have a heavy reliance on a Shamit or a campaign. So for me, it's just, you got to figure out, you got to figure out that, that third guard. I think that is the key to figuring things out. Cause if that dude is hitting shots, he is opening up space for others. And right now it's just clogged. Um, but I guess, I guess a simple one, just keep the first quarter close, stay in it, give yourself the chance. Don't, don't make yourself on, stuck on your heels for the entirety of the game. Cause that's just, we've seen it. The Mavs aren't going to just collapse. It seems. Uh, so, so don't put yourself in that spot. So no great answers other than just reiterating what we've already said, but what do you think, Phil? And the one thing I want to say defensively, I thought there were stretches during the game where the Suns got caught in between wanting to load up on Luca or wanting to allow Luca to go one-on-one and guard the shooters really well. It's not, it's not a simple, the NBA is never, never like in no game, no regular season game, no playoff game. It's never as simple as saying for the entire game, we're just going to load up on Luca or for the entire game, we're going to um, help down off of the, of the shooters. But during stretches of the game, I want to see the Suns be more decisive with what they're, with what they're scheming. So the defensive scheme will switch. There are signals. They're calling out what schemes they want to employ. I don't want to see the kind of middle ground where Luca was able to go one-on-one with guys and then either on the same possession or late after he was backing guys down, all of a sudden someone's coming over and now he's kicking it out to open, open shooters. So more decisive defensively. And then in addition, 
CP. Those are those are the two big things. Have a nor- just a normal crisp ball game and then decisive defense. And I think the Suns will be in good position regardless of how well the Mavericks are shooting. Yep. Well, we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping this one up as I uh, check up on the clock here. Hopefully, if you are listening, um, I hope us taking a day to kind of collect our thoughts has led to a, a better product for you guys to listen to. Uh, I have to listen back to these to edit them. So sometimes when when you listen, and you're like, ah, they weren't feeling it. I know it. I feel it too. And sometimes coming straight off of those losses, it's tough to to put your thoughts together and actually think through the problem. But sometimes as a fan as well, I listen to the other podcasts. I know sometimes it's fun to just listen to people uh, react and have the emotional response you're feeling. It's it's nice to feel like you're not alone. But hopefully uh, you were able to get some of that yesterday. And hopefully today got a little bit more optimism looking for what's going to change for game five. Uh, speaking of game five, I haven't seen the ref announced yet, but I did think if it was Scott Foster, we could have one more pun with foster children, uh, <laughs> but I haven't seen that yet. And so I wasn't able to do it. So just know that that one, that one was ready to go if needed. Um, but one last thing, if you're still here at the 50 some odd minute mark, uh, you can find us on Twitter at the Valley PHX. We would love Love, love, love. If you are listening, if there is something that you heard that you agreed with, you disagreed with, you whatever, if you want Ryan to change the Twitter bio to something new, hit us up. Um, the live stream thing, it has come out of convenience for a lazy video editor who very much enjoys having the video go straight to YouTube. So yeah, that's definitely me. But I have enjoyed getting to interact with the listeners more already, even just in the short sample size. We would love to have that extend to Twitter for those listening on the audio side of things as well. Uh, Football fan 28, Romeo, folks like that who are hopping in our chat on the YouTube live streams while we're recording. That's been fun as well. Kind of keeps keeps the episodes fresh here and keeps me from just sticking to my outline. So if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to the folks at Brightside and for Philip, Ryan, Into the Valley, Phoenix Suns podcast. We out.